This episode of Wheat Pete's Word is brought to you by New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer. Protects against major corn and soybean diseases, including tar spot in corn and white mold in soybeans. Delaro Complete. Outstanding protection, higher yield potential. Welcome to Wheat Pete's Word here on Real Agriculture for Wednesday, April the 20th. On this episode of The Word, has spring sprung? Sure doesn't seem so. A really quick update on the farming situation in the Ukraine. Cool stuff. Man, there's so much cool stuff out there. So much stuff I learn every week. Going to have to hit you over the head on compaction and finish up on nitrogen and as many other questions that I can get to in the time allotted. Let's go. First off, please use your call a friend lifeline. And it's not necessarily for you, but it might be for that other person. Some things have happened in Johnson's world the last couple of weeks that just remind me how important it is to make sure that your neighbors, your friends are okay. Remember the Wheat Pete 15. Call a friend and just say, are you okay? Just, it's so important. And you never know. The impact is incredibly positive, even if the person you call is 100% okay. And if they're not, it's probably even more important. Call a friend lifeline, the Wheat Pete 15. Okay, move on. It's a slow start. Has spring sprung? We would say here in Ontario, not a chance. Oh my gosh, in, in Manitoba, they're still under feet of snow. They got more snow on Sunday night. Dale Cowan at the agribusiness meeting uh, yesterday morning said that last year at this time, we had 135 crop heat units. This year at this time, we've had a mass of 35. Meanwhile, Kevin in BC tweets back a picture of his winter wheat and annual ryegrass crop. Oh my gosh, this country is amazing. A year ago at this time, he was cutting that crop for forage. This year, it's probably two weeks away from a cutting, so it's slow, but it's only two weeks away. It's already, I don't know, knee-high or higher than that. Uh, Kevin uses that after harvest to trap nitrogen. I think that's really great, and then he uses that as a forage. Just really interesting stuff. Meanwhile, uh, Manitoba still under snow, so big country, big differences, A little bit slow start, but wow, can you imagine almost being ready to harvest that forage? Just amazing. Here's one for the, just make you shake your head. Electric chopsticks. So most of us, or many of us, we eat too much salt. There's no question. And apparently the Japanese diet in particular has too much salt. So they've developed these electric chopsticks, and if you eat with these electric chopsticks, there's a a small electrical charge in these chopsticks, and as you eat that food, even without salt, it stimulates the sodium ions in there, and this food tastes like it's lots of salt, even though it doesn't have lots of salt. Oh my gosh. So I guess that means Johnson. I, well, I like potato chips. I eat my fingers. I'm not sure how the chopsticks work. Maybe electric forks, but incredible what can technology can do. And they really think that if everyone starts doing that, that they can have a significant health impact 
better health, lower salt, still get the salt feeling in the Japanese population. (laughs) Okay, move on to the Ukraine and planting is actually going reasonably well from what I'm hearing in maybe 80% of the agricultural lands in the Ukraine. They are out there. They are planting now in the West and East. They cannot. The, the war is going on. There's no question. Fields are landmined. One grower in particular, I think, heard 50,000 acres that that grower has, which in Ukrainian terms, apparently is not that big a farm. And I'm going, wow, 50,000 acres and it's not a big farm. But just landmines there, not sure at all that they're going to be able to plant anything in the east. But in the west, planting is happening. The big problem for them is diesel fuel. So fuel and labor shortages because so many people have gone to fight in the war. So those are the two main things. Oh, pesticides are an issue a little bit, but most big farms have fertilizer in place. The other thing, though, that's really impacting the Ukraine is that they have no access to ports whatsoever. And so all of their exports now have to happen by rail. So there are a couple, I think, on the river that are still open, small ports, and they are sending some grain there. But even Odessa, we keep hearing about Odessa still under Ukrainian control. Well, the Ukraines have landmined the Odessa harbor so that the Russian warships can't go into Odessa. And that port is not shipping anything. So all of those ports really kind of in that that, uh, situation where they can't export. And so what is happening is that the really big volume crops, it's a little bit like living in New Liskard, and you'd rather grow canola in New Liskard than you would grow oats in New Liskard because, man, they can grow oats like crazy. But, oh, my gosh, it takes so many trucks to haul them down to market. It just is brutal, whereas canola yields a lot less but we get more in the truck and it takes less trucks and that canola is worth more. So corn acres in the Ukraine probably slipping pretty significantly and that is because they would can grow sunflowers or soybeans. Sunflowers is the big crop and so sunflowers need less nitrogen than corn crop. They don't need as much natural gas to dry sunflowers as they do the corn crop, and it takes less volume to move those sunflowers to market. So just a whole bunch of things that you kind of go, wow, didn't know that. That makes sense. But until you're in that situation, you really don't have a good sense. Okay, want to move on. And Jeff Schusler, really cool presentation uh, to actually, I think it was Minnesota that I heard this from. But we all know about climate change and how the season is getting longer and, you know, we're getting hotter and hotter. Well, guess what? Climate change in that presentation, uh, we've gained, I think, uh, 14 days in Ontario, I think is the number that we use. Uh, We may well gain 30 days in length of season. That was Jeff's number by 2050. It's 2022. That means we would pick up another 16 days by, by 2050. It really impacts double crop options. There's a whole lot of things that it, it does. And the other, we talk about these high temperatures. Well, guess what? The nighttime temperatures across everywhere pretty much have gone up. There's no question about that. So nighttime temperatures are higher. But in the U.S. Midwest, there's this big area where daytime highs over the last, 
20, 25 years have actually gone down one to do two degrees Celsius. And you go, why is that going on? It's because we are growing such massive crops, in particular the corn crop, and it's pumping water like crazy in the heat of the summer, and that water vapor, that evapotranspiration, is like an air conditioner. And so in the used to be in that area, it was primarily a tall grass prairie or short grass prairie, and those plants were pretty much done growing by the middle of summer or deep. They were no longer in that rapid growth phase. We moved that rapid growth phase, that massive quarter inch, third of an inch of, uh, per day of evapotranspiration through the crop. And it's an air conditioner. So we dropped the temperature, that daytime's high, by one to two degrees Celsius. That's a really big positive impact on yields because high temperatures limit yields. Uh, the one thing it does do, though, puts more water vapor into the air and it means we get more violent storms. So all of these tornadoes, all of these three, six-inch downpours that we hear about, we are now getting 40 to 50% of our precipitation in significant one-day rain events. And I think significant is over, uh, over two inches or maybe even over three inches of rain in one day. I'd have to look that up again. But in any case, even if it's over an inch, man, we are getting 40 to 50% in these massive downpours as opposed to these nice all-day gentle rains that we used to get. And part of that is because those crops are cooling, but they're also increasing the water vapor in the, uh, in the air. Okay, a couple other things to be aware of. Albert Tenuta. Both frog eye leaf spots, so that's a Cercospora disease, and we know that in sugar beets, man, Cercospora, it's one of those diseases that just seems to be able to overcome the, the mechanisms or develop mechanisms of resistance. So Cercospora in soybeans, also Alternaria in soybeans, is now resistant to all the strobe chemistry that we have out there and to some of the triazoles. So that's on the disease front. Peter Sigma tweeting out that common ragweed is glyphosate resistant. We knew we had glyphosate resistance in Essex County and ragweed, common ragweed in Essex County has resistance, I think, to the group twos as well. It's, it's got some cross resistance. But Simcoe County, so we're talking the Barry area, Stainer, up in that part of the world, totally unrelated geographically from Essex County, the only spot where we had glyphosate-resistant common ragweed, we now have it in Simcoe County. We simply have to do a better job in resistance management, both on insects, diseases, and on weeds. That's all there is to it. Okay, going to move on and talk about the wheat crop. So first up, uh, lots of questions coming in over the weekend. It's cold. What about putting nitrogen on wheat when under cold temperatures? answer is get over it it's fine just do it i know this is a bit late maybe for ontario conditions but it probably will pertain to western canada at some point temperature really doesn't matter the only time i don't want to put nitrogen on the wheat crop well maybe there's two times if it's below minus 12 celsius then the wheat leaves seem to get so frozen that even light traffic like a 
four-wheeler putting on clover seed, you can see those tracks last for a long time in the wheat crop. I'm not sure it hurts yield much, but you get more damage that you would expect at minus 12 and below. And the other time, if you have a heavy white frost that is stuck to the wheat leaves, and I've talked about this before, that frost acts like glue. If you're out there streaming on 28%, the burn is unbelievable. So you you just can't do it on a heavy frost or when it's super cold. But if it's minus four, get the job done. Just go get the job done. It's going to work. Meanwhile, Mike at Hensel was hoping to do from frost seeding on the weekend to patch in some winter wheat. Didn't get cold enough. By Monday, he's able to run on dry soil. Brett also rolling, planting spring cereals at Wallenstein. However, in Brett's case, the tough spots, it just wasn't quite dry enough. He's pushing to get that spring cereal seeded because the weather forecast is so crappy. But in the tough spots, not closing the slot. And, And the answer is, in those situations, if you don't have a crumbler press wheel or closing wheel a crumbler will help but if it's less than 10 percent of the field the benefit to early planting just go get that job done melvin at harriston sending me some pictures of some amazing looking winter wheat planted october the 12th and november the 11th and it wow the november 11th you just say that's ah, nice looking wheat for november the 11th of course a nice silt loam soil at harriston on the late planted wheat that I'm walking, the the majority is okay. It's it's better than I ever expected, but the compacted headlands are ugly. And field after field that I've walked of November the 7th, November the 9th, November the 11th planted wheat, the field it's in general is quite acceptable. The headlands we're going to have to replant, and that's because we compact the daylights out of the headlands. Uh, in fact, my good friend Al saying that November wheat, where they worked it up a couple times and loosened it up, that November wheat is is good, where they no-tilled it. Now, this is in around St. Thomas and very much, too much rain, pretty, you know, it's not bad soil, but it, it is a heavier clay soil. And the no-till failed because it just sat saturated too long. They kind of sliced through that too wet soil, dropped the seed in, and that doesn't work. That's like compacted headlands. Meanwhile, Paul Hermans in eastern Ontario setting up a workshop, a, a planter p- tractor parked in the shop. He tweets out the pictures, and there is no bag to those tires on the planter whatsoever. And the planter, planter tractor rather, and the planter is in transport position, so it's adding more weight to the tractor than normal. And I, my response was, get some air out of those tiles tires we just have to look at that because it's beating us up more than we realize okay bryce saying hey peter spring wheat bruce county now i'm in a low yield environment it's a heavy clay soil i know i won't get it planted before the may before may 1st maybe a bit later than that but in that game what should be my nitrogen rate and should i split my nitrogen so the answer is pretty simple on really high yield spring wheat we think 120 pounds of nitrogen would be the sweet spot 90 pounds of nitrogen in in a lower yield environment but that'll depend a little bit and and bryce says split your nitrogen 
And wow, the agronomist session on Monday night. If you haven't watched that, if you weren't able to join, we had some technical issues. It, because of the technical issues, we didn't get to as many questions as I would have liked to. But I think we've done a really good job in that session of the basic understanding of nitrogen, how it works in the soil. And the big takeaway is, Bryce, split nitrogen, will it make you yield? Probably not. But it really does do a way, it is the number one way to reduce the environmental impact of the nitrogen that we apply. And the big problem from the yield standpoint, always with these research trials, and I, I'm as guilty, Shane and I have done tons of split nitrogen trials on winter wheat in Ontario. And the answer is, if you've decided, like Bryce, you're going to put on 90 pounds of nitrogen, and you put on 90 pounds of nitrogen into a single shot, or you split it, the yield impact typically is close to zero. But we didn't use the biggest benefit of that split nitrogen, and that is put 50%, 60% up front, put 60 pounds on up front, and when you come back with the split, you say, wowzers, it's been cool, that spring wheat is going gangbusters, so we add 60 pounds. Or you say, oh my gosh, she's a hot year, it's been dry, there's no tillers there. Maybe we don't put any more nitrogen on than 60 pounds. It's the added knowledge that we can change nitrogen rate in a split nitrogen situation. We have failed badly on that, and that's really one of those things that I think we have to, we have to get better with. Okay, just on that note, lots of great stuff in that agronomist session. Some of the takeaways, yes, split nitrogen, we, that's number one way to improve our, our nitrogen management and reduce our greenhouse gas emissions if you have an open slot and you're, in, you're putting, you know, you're banding your 28, you're banding your urea, but the slot stays open, that is like the worst case scenario for losses. So for goodness sakes, get the slot closed. I mean, just, it's really challenging. And Nature Nutneck asking a really great question. Uh, do you know where your nitrogen is? And that, it, you really have to think that one through. It's, it sort of twists your brain sideways. And with that, I am out of time, despite the fact I have lots more nitrogen stuff I'd like to talk about. On behalf of the team here at Real Agriculture, this is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, April the 20th. Keep the questions coming, and I'll keep talking way too much. See you next Wednesday. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Wheat Pete's Word podcast, brought to you by New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer, which delivers outstanding protection from major corn and soybean diseases, including tar spot in corn and white mold in soybeans. Choose Delaro Complete. It's grow time.